Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Global Football Show, Every brought to you every Monday night. Uh, your regular co-host here, Phil Brown, join with my regular co-host, the excellent Zach Louis. Zach, how you doing, brother? Hey, Phil, doing very well. Another week, uh, last week before the World Cup, so got a lot to discuss and uh, really looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about the World Cup. We'll talk about it from the obvious inseparable human rights issues. Uh, we'll talk about other aspects of it, football governance in general, because uh, I do think there's a big, big problem here uh, with financial governance and other issues. We'll talk about LAFC winning the uh, MLS Cup this weekend. We'll talk about a truly unbelievable game between Boca and Racine, where we had 10 players sent off. Uh, so that's the tackle today, my friend. First of all, how was your weekend? Pretty good. Got to watch a decent amount of sports, and uh, and yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Whenever you have kids and stuff, your weekends will change dramatically, my friend. <laughs> Enjoy the single life right now. Enjoy being able to do what yeah. you want, because uh, that changes very, very quickly. <laughs> um, but um, that's... I, 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 as was mentioned on my previous podcast, thank you to everyone for all the kind birthday messages this weekend. Very, very much appreciated. I had a lot of fun this weekend. Um, at first of all, Zach, I want to talk about the World Cup because you quite rightly say we're on the verge of the World Cup. Um, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like, to me, and I can only speak for myself here, a massive extended international break. I have zero appetite for this World Cup. I've never looked forward to a competition a World Cup less. It's almost a nuisance to me because I don't want club football to stop. My interest in international football has been diminishing significantly. I used to love the World Cup. I used to love it as a spectacle. I used to love, you know, the excitement of seeing players I didn't see accepted. Technology's changed that. But I'm trying to find a reason to be excited about this tournament. And to me, it is a spectacular example of how football has completely lost its mind in the pursuit of profit. And this is an utterly despicable event being put on. And we have, and I'm going to be scared in here, and I mean this, um, international nations doing performative gestures. They really mean nothing. English Football Association using LGBTQ armbands. Well, that'll really teach them there. You see them, see them football association that allowed Saudis to buy the football clubs, that allowed Thaksin Shinawatra to buy the football clubs, that allowed the UAE to buy the football clubs, all of whom have commensurate human rights violations in their record. You know, I would like to believe that human lives matter. I'd like to believe an organisation with a calibrated moral compass we turn around and say we are not sitting around a table with people who placed no value on the lives of the people that have been lost building football stadiums. Imagine it's you, Zach. Imagine it's you or your brother, your sister, your mother, your father who was killed and was given no dignity, no human rights. And the people they died for, rather than turning around and saying their lives matter, they matter more than a football tournament instead they send out letters telling people to stick to the football and they sit around the table with these despots and they devalue your life and they don't care 
And then they want to talk about FIFA fair play, FIFA ethics. Same organization, by the way, is investigated by international, uh, the FBI and, and other uh, international uh, Interpol and stuff um, organizations. This is a disgrace. And, and, and look, if you can hold a World Cup in November in Qatar, there is no more football values that are sacred. Everything's up for grabs. Everything has a price in this game. And Denmark wearing black Dutch shirts, meaningless. Wearing LGBTQ armbands, meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Do something that has a real cost. Right? Boycott the tournament. That would send a message. Someone like in England not going to the tournament, refusing to play, or one, some of the big players refusing to play, all of them are falling over themselves to go back him who's taking money to promote this nonsense, to try to sanitise it. Nah, not for me. Yeah, look, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I mean, I think that it is hard to ask a team... Uh, to, you know, boycott the World Cup because it is the biggest sporting event in the world. It's what everybody dreams of. But uh, with that being said, yeah, I, I've got to say, um, a lot of these teams and organizations that are doing, like, seemingly performative gestures, yeah, I'd rather they just uh, kept their mouths shut because uh, I, I, I feel like it's just so hollow mm -hmm. and... It's it's a difficult situation, okay. So I can I can sympathize because you know I think that it's it's this world World Cup is an absolute disgrace on so many levels. It's an absolute disgrace that Qatar were allowed to buy a World Cup mm -hmm. uh, in the most corrupt and nefarious fashions. It's an absolute disgrace that you know this is taking place in a a country that you know has has had to rely on pretty much slave labor. Uh, to get these uh, stadiums built, it's an absolute disgrace that this tournament is taking place in the middle of a season, and that you know a two-week, uh, three-week-long hamstring injury is going to mm -hmm. keep a lot of these players out on what may be the only World Cup they'll ever get a chance to participate in. So yeah, it is a disgrace. Um, but with that being said, I mean, I as a football journalist, obviously, I'm still going to watch it. But I definitely won't feel good about it. I, I, I have to say, I mean, the, the World Cup, on so many levels, it's been, I think, uh, a great escape route for, for so many people just to kind of, like, uh, you know, enjoy something that hasn't been corrupted. You know, I, I don't want to say that the World Cup wasn't corrupted uh, before 2022, but I think that in comparison to, you know, for example, club football, right, with, you know, so many massive uh sponsors and and so much inequality with their owner inner ownerships i yeah i definitely think there's something pure um about world cups and 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 for this to be just corrupted the way it is yeah it's a real shame so yeah like i said this isn't the first time that uh that that uh a world cup has been the subject of sports washing you know you could you could go back to the last world cup in russia you could even go back to mm -hmm. Uh, 1978 with uh, Argentina, the, the World Cup taking place during um, General Videla's dictatorship. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of examples to point to. So that isn't that unprecedented. But yeah, the you know, I do think that 
um, it's it's a difficult spot for a lot of people. And I I definitely find myself, um, you know, it's it's definitely a a hot and cold, bittersweet scenario. Like you know, you want to watch the best stars, and in what will be, I think, will be a fantastic tournament. But uh, you just know that this tournament, it should have never even come close to taking place in Qatar. Yeah, see, this is the difficult part, right? <clears throat> because as football fans, we want to watch the tournament. And we're put in this awful situation where you have to make a moral choice between do I watch this or do I boycott it completely? And it's totally unfair to put fans in that situation. Because they aren't in control of who gets awarded a World Cup. They're just participants. Would I go there? Absolutely not. Yeah. Right? On not in a million years. Um and so I'm looking at this. I also understand the water battery. I completely understand people saying, like you just said, Zach, what about that conflict? What about this country's human rights records? That's ter perfectly reasonable and completely understandable, right? Um, you know, lots of countries have a different tolerance for certain decency laws. Like if you walk down the street in the UK naked, you get arrested, right? So, um, and people wouldn't find that odd. You know, so if you, you know, if you if you're having sex in the street, you get arrested. Right. So, you know, signs of public affection in Qatar, you'll get arrested. There's just varying degrees of sensitivities on this. Right. <clears throat> and so um, and I think there is some degree of moral relativism where you think, OK, not every country is going to personify your values. So you have to accept cultures are different. But I think once you get into serious human oppression, where it's not acceptable. It's like 500 years ago, the Peruvians used to leave children out on the top of mountains to freeze to death and die as a gift to the gods. Culturally, yeah. that would be unacceptable today because we know that that is nonsense and it's unnecessary human suffering. So it's okay sometimes to look at someone else and say, hey, yeah. It's not racist or bigoted to call out stuff that that involves human suffering, especially when you're practicing racism or bigotry or or sexism or you know homophobia or whatever against a group of people. I mean, I don't, I didn't choose to be straight. Did you? No. So I would assume that people who are gay didn't choose it either, right? Right. And to victimize human beings for something that's existed from the dawn of time. Is just despicable to me. And to normalize that, you know, it's one thing if a country's done horrendous things, and I accept that that is not easily dismissed. But when you have direct social policies that are oppressive against specific human beings that aren't, there's no attempt to even disguise it, that to me is unacceptable. That is totally unacceptable. And imagine if you're a gay footballer, of which there'll be many we don't know about, and you have to participate in this. See, when you do this by compulsion, you force people into a situation where they have to out themselves um, and receive criticism rather than doing it collectively. So it's difficult for a player to turn around and say, I'm not going to the World Cup when 22 of his teammates will. 
Because you're like, why should I make this protest on my own? That's where international governing bodies need to step up and say, no, this is not okay. And, and take that responsibility out of the hands of individuals who are a lot less powerful than a, than, than a large nation or anyone else. And I think that there's, I think that football has a responsibility here. I mean, you can't turn around and do all these uh, initiatives that, you know, you're talking about inclusivity, where, you know, end racism and all this stuff and then reward nations that do this. It's totally unacceptable, and 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 it's it's it, it ridicules these all these performative messages taking a knee and everything. It 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 doesn't help to change. You're not changing attitudes. It's a gesture that means nothing. I mean, I criticized United over the summer when they went for Arnautovic, going, "How can you take a knee today and then go and pursue a flagrant racist?" You see, this is why I have a problem with accepting the authenticity of your gesture. Because right? that, to me, is more about advertising. That's more about making sure we are seen to be doing the right thing than actually doing the right thing. The minute there's a material cost to doing the right thing, then that compass gets a little bit out of whack. And this is why Gary Neville was rightfully skewered on this. You can't pick and choose your a la carte menu of things you care about or your moral consistency will be rightfully attacked. And 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 this is sad because there's an important point that needs to be made here. Yeah. Listen, I think that, you know, the way I've, I've looked at um, this discussion with regards to the World Cup and the ethics is I think that, I think the majority of people... Um, obviously, you know, outside of those who were complicit in the decision, I think the majority of people, uh, they, they are morally opposed to this tournament. But I think another thing that we're seeing is it's almost like the opposite of groupthink, where, like, one player who may feel strongly may want to, you know, uh, do a protest or, or some show of advocacy against uh, Cutter's anti-LGBT rules, they'll see the fact that, you know, none of these other players are making a stand, so why should mm-hmm. I? Why should I risk my chances of never getting called up to another World Cup when potentially um, potentially not getting called up to, to another national team uh, camp? You know, I this these are all things that weigh on the mind of a footballer. I think you also have, you know, teams, team organizations who think, Okay, well, if we withdraw, some other team is just gonna, uh, mm-hmm. pick, you know, take our point. And and FIFA might actually be happy about it because they realize that they won't have to deal with our uh, protests, right? Um, and I think it's also yep. similar to you know maybe even journalists or fans who are like, you know, I should be boycotting this, but who's really gonna hear, right? If uh, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really fall, right? So. Um, so I think it's 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 there's definitely some similarities with regards to that, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 really just a shame. The thing is that you you bring up an important point here, right? So it shouldn't be done to some footballer that's scraping into a 22-man squad by the skin of his teeth, you know, who's going to be a reserve player on the bench, you know, whose message would be relatively muted anyway. This should be led by Ronaldo or a Messi or someone like that. Because if they 
were to do it, I have no doubt they wouldn't be alone. And for the branding aspect of this, where the sponsors are paying millions, yep. it would be utterly catastrophic for someone like Cristiano Ronaldo to come out and say, I refuse to play in this tournament and normalise this. And then say Messi did it. Right. What would it do to the image of the World Cup globally? What would it do to the image of, of, of Qatar globally? What would it do to FIFA? And how easy would it make for other players who feel the same way to do the same because there's safety in numbers? Right? Those are big targets that are hard to attack. So, you know, it's one thing if it's some, you know, reserved Danish player coming out and saying, I'm, I'm not going on principles. Great, they respect that, no one cares. Right? Yeah. But if it's the big boys, well, that matters because that's who the sponsors are paying for. They're not paying for, you know, uh, 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 Thomas Delaney. Right. They're paying. They're paying for Ronaldo and Messi and the big boys. Yeah. What would it do to television rights, Zach? This is where it needs to happen. The dominoes need to fall from the top down. You know, they you, you, they, they can't young smaller guys can't be punching up. You got to punch down, and this is and they are more valuable. They are they are what makes FIFA. These big guys, these big tournaments, these big games. They don't care about the smaller nations. They don't care. I mean, that was evident in the France-Ireland World Cup playoff. In that playoff, the team that finished with the most points got home advantage last. They reversed that in the Ireland-France fixture and gave France home advantage last, right? Even though Ireland finished with more points than them, of course, you saw it happen to Thierry Henry, and in fact, it goes back to what you said. It would actually suit them to get rid of a couple of nations and bring in big television net revenue. How much would they love Norway there to have Holland there? Right? I mean, the thing is, Zach, there's, there's an opportunity for countries to do the right thing, for big players to do the right thing, but they're so self-consumed, they're so selfish. You know, Ronaldo will be desperate to go there to win the World Cup and, and add... You know, more personal goals and, and accomplishment, but at what cost, man? At, at the end of the day, this is just entertainment. This is football. This is human lives, and and I I don't. It's the same with people buying you know football clubs that are despots. I don't know, man. To me, it's that that's a hard circle to square for me. Yeah. But it does come a point where I'm like, hey. This is just ninety minutes of entertainment. This is this is at the cost of what? Human beings' lives. Unless you're a victim of that torture and that, you know, Jamal Khashoggi put through a, a wood chipper. Man, what? And we're we're saying I don't care because he's banned a striker in January. Like this is insane. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. And I yeah, as you mentioned, you know, only a select amount of players are going to be capable of of. Uh, I think creating the momentum and I just don't see how these performative gestures are going mm -hmm. to cause any impact whatsoever. So yeah, I'm, I gotta say I'm a bit disappointed in uh, a lot of these big name footballers for not taking a stand. It really just shows, I think how many, how, how many people are complicit. You know, I, obviously they're not the biggest uh, villains from this, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, sacrifice, it's something that, 
that that you know you have to uh, that that there has to be some sort of sacrifice in order to make a change. And I you know you've seen that with a lot of other athletes, uh, whether you know likes of Muhammad Ali, Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick. Uh, fact is, there just aren't that many footballers who are, I think are willing to put their uh, ethics and moral values on the line uh, at at risk of hurting hurting their career. And yeah, that is what sacrifice is. It's something that is. You know, not just going to negatively affect people around you, but negatively affect you know your chances uh, for 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 the hope of a greater good. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I mean this this World Cup is going to go on, and uh, I don't think that I I think that um, in many ways, uh, you know, okay, there there is a lot of media exposure about you know these human rights controversies and is deaf so i you know i do think that will help uh for sure it, it will help um uh cutter in terms of it, it will prevent cutter in terms of uh failing to sports wash with as much uh e- effectiveness right because people they know what this country is and they're perhaps not going to be as willing to uh go on vacation they're like one of the main goals of this tournament but but yeah i i do think that this could have been a, a much bigger chance for uh, for athletes to really uh, just stand up, take a stand and say, you know, this is wrong. Right. We need to put human values before. But uh, but at the at the same time, as disappointed as I am with with the athletes, uh, this initiative does need to come from the national organizations, from the governments. Uh, it, you can't be putting the all this uh, on on a footballer who you know, frankly, just wants to play in the world's biggest tournament. You know, you bring up two great examples there, um, where two, Colin Kaepernick, uh, and Muhammad Ali, and even if you go back to the 1963 uh, Olympics, whenever um, they played the Star Spangled Banner, you had uh, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos each raised the black glove during the playing of the national anthem to protest their violation of civil liberties. They did that at great cost yeah. to themselves. And you look at someone like Kaepernick, for example. What was one of the first things they said about Colin Kaepernick to silence him? How oh, he's he's an average quarterback, he's not very yeah. good. And then they used that excuse to blackball him in the NFL. Because he's not very good. Now we both know that wasn't why. Right? Muhammad Ali lost four years of his career in his prime, right? In his prime. Great financial cost to himself, great social cost to himself, and received despicable abuse, but he was right, and history has proven him to be right. For Kaepernick, it took the likes of LeBron James to get involved, to really amplify that message. And so those are people, even if you disagree with them, at least respect their commitment to their principles and values that says yeah. no. You know, we have lots of people, Roger Waters, for example, who refuses to play in Israel as a result of the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Um, lots of people make personal sacrifices at great financial cost to themselves because their principles demand it. If you can't do that, then don't talk to me. Don't pontificate like Gary Neville does. Mm-hmm. Because you're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, let's be honest, right? Yeah. 
I mean, the Saudis own Twitter, not Elon Musk, right? Right. Uh, how many people are going to log off and delete their accounts because the Saudis own it? You know, this is the problem. It's easy to pontificate about these things, but when there's a material cost to actually adhering to your values and principles, lots of people start fudging them. And I'm no different. I'm a hypocrite too. I have an Apple phone sitting on my desk. There's people throwing themselves off buildings every day to build that phone at a price point for me. You know, it's it, 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 and I accept that. I have no right. I'm not looking for you to legitimize my moral consistency. And even if I am a hypocrite, like many of us, it doesn't make the core point about Cutter wrong. It's right. I attack my moral consistency if you want, that's fine. But that changes nothing about the fact that this is an absolute disgrace. And honestly, Zach, I brought this up in my other podcast. I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm a pariah or something. <clears throat> but uh, a few weeks ago, I had a call from a guy. Um, he was a uh, Batten's company. Right, they're getting right. around it by doing top picks and all that, and they wanted to pay BTP decent money. It was good money. It was the best money I'd ever been offered uh, as an advertiser and um, to advertise content, and to put it beds on our podcasts, website, Twitter feeds, all that. There was also a commission involved, which all of it made me deeply uncomfortable as an advocate for mental health and someone that is a recovering addict. Um, I could never do it. I couldn't square the circle and say, I'm going to sit here and advertise something that I know a percentage of people is going to get hurt from, really hurt, and profit from that, and be incentivized to send people to a website to subscribe and possibly lose everything. I, 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 that's obscene to me. That's profiting off people's pain and suffering. I mean, that to me is, is, is the same as a drug dealer. You are pushing a vice on someone that has the potential to absolutely destroy their life. And you know, if 100 people take drugs, 10% will become an addict. Well, it's about the same for gambling. So to me, I, I, I couldn't do it. I think, the, 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 I'm, and I'm not trying to say, oh, look at me, how great I am. But I, I, I needed the money. Would it be nice to have? But there, there is a point to where I need to put my head down on a pillow. And I, I couldn't do it, man. I, I, I genuinely couldn't. So when I see multi-millionaires like Beckham taking money, I go, why? Surely there's more value in saying no. I, I, I just, I, I, honestly, man, I, it, it, it is so depressing to me. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think that, um, yeah, definitely been depressing how there just has not been that much of a an effort from, from anybody to, to make a stand. Um, and yeah, like I said, I do think that it's it's almost like the opposite of group think. People, you know, it's not the the popular opinion sways the opinion of, of the group, but it's um, the collective inaction, I think. Uh, essentially causing an impact and everybody to become lethargic and just not really do anything, basically think that their voice and platform is uh, is meaningless. 
Yeah, completely. Um, and I, it, uh, it, it's so... Dis I have to be honest, mate, uh, what I was saying, I haven't consumed a single piece of promotional uh, content, whether it's written or audio, whatever, about the World Cup. I didn't even know who the first game was. I had to Google it. When it was, who was playing. Um, just realised it's Ecuador, Qatar. I, I, I just don't care. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll care when it's on. Yeah. But I have no intention, even if this wasn't in the place that it's in, the fact we're sitting in November, it, it, everything about it just, it, it, just not, it's lost its luster to me. I, and I know I'm not alone. I yeah. know. And so this is where football has to be really, really careful with taking its audience for granted. Right. And assuming that fans, think about this, Zach, right? A, think about all the, 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 the multi-dimensional crises that are across the world right now. With cost of living, right? With so many other aspects of people that are, that are financially hurting. And you want to tell them in November to go to Qatar for a World Cup where one slip-up Grab your girlfriend. You could end up in prison. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Why would I go there again? I wouldn't go there if you give me an all-expenses-paid trip and tickets to the games. I have zero desire to spend a single minute in an environment like that. It's it's just it's it. I I I would genuinely feel like I've been sent to prison for a month. I mm -hmm. I, I don't get why anyone would go there or unless they're financially incentivized and even then I accept for the guys that are that need to make a living fine if you're not wealthy fine I get it right that's the way of the world but if you have a choice and you still choose to do this you deserve everything you get for that Zach I'm sorry yeah no completely I mean Look, I, I had absolutely zero desire to go to the World Cup. Um, you know, I did I did have the chance to go to my first World Cup in 2018 in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hopefully I can make it to 2026. But, yeah, I think that, I mean, this is just, it's, it's just so disappointing to see all these influencers who are, yeah, as you mentioned, I think doing very well off, you know, accepting this, accepting the mm -hmm. chance to, essentially become an active participant in the uh, spread of, of sports washing and, and basically trying to carry out uh, Qatar's mission of convincing, you know, the, the rest of the world that this is, you know, a, a good country and it's, there's no issues with it. It's, it's c completely fine. And as long as there aren't uh, really strong voices speaking up about this matter, yeah, the fact is we're, we're just not going to see uh, that much of a change, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, the fact is, this is this is a disgraceful it, 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 tournament. I think that uh, it's going to go down as definitely one of the biggest travesties in football history. The fact that uh, such a massive uh, event is going to have you know such a rotten uh, political agenda, and um, and yeah, I don't know. I I have to wonder what the long term emotional effects are going to be of so many people who yeah dream of every four years just going to this event and uh and uh, of, of watching the event and seeing these teams compete you know maybe potentially getting disillusioned and 
what that impact is going to bring on not just uh, the World Cup, but football in general. Yeah, but and, and I think that's a really important point, football in general. Because here's the thing, Zach, yeah. that um, the motivation for the World Cup being here is the same reason why football is in a mess. So there was a, an individual, they, they were investigating Fulham last week, investigating their sponsors. And one of their sponsors, they find out that it's a sense it's not it doesn't exist and immediately that sponsor gets deleted and removed and this of course has precedent with Manchester City right creating false sponsors to boost the profit and loss so that they can comply with FFP and it was apparently a part of the Saudi takeover of Newcastle where they were going to be consistently audited on the value of their sponsors. Now, this is the richest league in the world, right? And despite all these riches, it still doesn't lead to sound financial governance because of the parasites that infest football clubs, that it used them for proxy means. And this is, again, speaks to the impotence of football governance, why is it down to a journalist to find this out? Yeah. Why isn't there Premier League or FA auditors doing this? Why is it? I mean, this is this is unbelievable. If I'm a, if I, if I'm someone like if I, why would Inter Milan or AC Milan comply with FFP? Yeah. Why? What's the point? You know, why would I, why would any of them care about any of the rules that FIFA employ or or UEFA employ? It would be, I mean, honestly, I I look at that and I'm like, if they found that out at Fulham, and you can bat your balls, that practice is rife throughout English clubs or clubs in general. Yeah. And again, it's the, if you look at City, City were caught by Der Spiegel. Journalists, why are they not being caught by football auditors? I mean, my guess is because they're working hand in glove with each other. And the same reason why Lance Armstrong wasn't outed in, 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 in uh, the Tour de France, despite the fact that it was blatantly obvious they knew he was doping for years because he became bigger than the sport. He was worth too much in competition than out. Same thing with the World Cup. What's the cost of actually curing? It's too much. Let's just pretend this doesn't happen. Fans don't care. No, they care. And honestly, Zach, if we are, maybe football's never had a moral compass and I just looked at it through an innocent lens when I was younger, possibly. But you see all that stuff, mate? I love the game. I love watching the game on the weekend, but see everything else surrounding it, it is vile. Yeah, no, for sure. I, As you mentioned, I mean, I think that uh, it's just a disgrace and it, I definitely think that it's, it's going to be the most, uh, really the most mixed feeling producing because the fact is everybody still wants to see the World Cup. You know, I, I think that the collective excitement for this tournament, it's, it's, it's too much. You know, the World Cup is still the World Cup. So, you know, you feel bad, but you still want to watch it. But, um, but yeah, you definitely also get the sense that I think after this tournament, you know, are things ever going to be the same? 
with regards to the way we feel about the World Cup. You know, I'm not sure if they will. Well, I think that it means different things to different people from different countries, right? <clears throat> For example, this country defines its success through the national team. I mean, a large part of the raison d'etre for MLS was to supply better players for the US national team. You could have, in my opinion, an MLS, one of the top leagues in the world, but if the US men's national team's not doing well, that will define soccer in this country. This is a very nationalistic country, right? This is a country that plays the national anthem at every baseball game, at every football game. This is a country that has a national identity that is not very fluid in the way that other countries have. South America is similar. They have, they, they love their national teams. Africa, similar. They love their national teams of tremendous importance culturally, socially, and everything else. But in Europe, there's more of a malaise towards this. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and they're much more club-centric. And you get much greater regional divides in Europe. For example, when I explain to people here that Liverpool fans boo the national anthem or, you know, sung songs about the Queen down and United fans singing, you can shove your fucking England up your arse. Americans don't believe me. They look at me and they're like, they're singing that in their own country about their own country. I'm like, yes, because of regional rivalry and identity is totally different over there. Right. Manchester, you see this in Barcelona. You know, Catalonia is not Spain. Uh, English, Liverpool fans, we are Scouts, not English. Right? United fans, seen lots of fans do this. You don't have that out here. You would never have at an MLS game the national anthem booed or you can shove your USA up. You just wouldn't have it. And so I think for different places, it means something different to the, the country and how they define their success or when the Premier League's been so successful, most English football fans, of course they support the national team, but not fervently in the way that they once did. And it's much like, I mean, you if you look at the discourse today, uh, you know, Twitter is an example, but um, most people in Europe see international break as a nuisance almost, right? And so World Cups have always represented something different because usually there's no other football on at the time. And usually you get the benefit of a build-up and it's such a huge occasion and, you know, there's, there, it's in the sunshine. It's always, it's always you know, in a, a football-mad country and, and the, the, the spectacle, the, everything is just, it's a celebration of cultures. It's a celebration of the world's global cultures coming together, and national identity and all the things that are positive about humanity. But this is the opposite, Zach. Yeah, as you mentioned, I definitely think that uh, more and more people are becoming a bit disillusioned with international football and their national teams, you know, and I even see that with the USA, which is a traditionally, I think, passionate, uh, fervent fan base. Definitely see that, I think, with, with a lot of international teams, even such as England, you know, England have had a phenomenal past few years getting to uh, the World Cup semifinals, getting to a Euros final. And, you know, you see, I think the majority of England fans really just, uh, you know, complaining that their team is not playing great football. Um, so I think that it's it's something that, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because in, international football, um, I think the the part of the appeal is how pure it is, and you know you are not playing for a billionaire owner or a team that's sponsored by an energy drink or something, right? You're you're playing for your country that you grew up in. You're playing for millions of fans who are supporting them, um, and you know people, even people who watch uh, less than one football match every few every four years they're still going to tune in for the world cup that's just how special it is um so i think that i i, I think that the 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 uh decision makers within fifa and the uh with regards to the footballing authorities yeah they've essentially stated that there's just so much leverage there's so much uh popularity and appeal for this uh for this tournament that it can never be tarnished and that it's it's never going to be like we're still going to be able to utilize it for whatever purpose but uh that's not true i i think that i do think that um there could be some serious long-term effects from from hosting a tournament in qatar in just terms of you know how disillusioning it's going to be for so many people well i think also you know if you look at um we know that these major sponsors are not, you know, they 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 they're as immoral as anyone else. I mean, you need only look at the sheer circus and utterly vile and despicable comments from Ye from Kanye West, and right. how long it took him to get dropped by these companies. Yeah. Now he's been on a tyrant for a long time and said things like slavery was a choice. He said George Floyd died of fentanyl. Came out and said, and there was no social consequence. Yeah. And so eventually he offended enough people where they were forced to act, not because they wanted to, right? And they would have loved to have found a way for this to die down and just carry on as normal. And we see this a lot, but then what typically happens, we see this with politicians, we're pulling our financing. And then six months later when no one's watching, they start contributing again. Right? And, yeah. and then you get companies using it performatively. I mean, Skechers. Kanye West showed up here and we escorted him out of the building. Mm -hmm. That was an advertisement. Right. That wasn't a statement of morality. That was, look at us, we're the good guys. Right? And that is, to me, pretty despicable too. You know, Adidas, for example. I mean, you need only look at their history. You know, they, they, these are not, you know, they, these are not moral bastions. Right. And so... Uh, they have continued to sponsor despicable athletes that have committed domestic violence, have committed the worst types of crimes. I mean, what was the consequence for Cristiano Ronaldo? Zero. Did, yeah. Did, did, did Nike drop him? No. No. Right? And it was blatantly obvious by the deposition that Cristiano Ronaldo had serious culpability in what happened. I mean, he admitted it. 
So to me, I think, uh, you know, we shouldn't expect these sponsors to be moral because we know they're not. And this to me is just honestly, I, I find it unbelievably sad that we live in a world today where um, people will justify anything if if it provides them any, any sense, any source of, if it provides them a dividend, whether it's emotional or otherwise. You know what, I like watching my football team. I don't really care that they killed, they ran over 100 kids on the way here, as long as my, right. my team wins. Like, hang on a minute here. <laughs> I, I this, this should matter. And it will matter if it's you or your children or your, your family. Uh, yeah, anyways, I, it is really, really disappointing to me that uh, I was hoping in the build-up to this we'd have one or two big players come out and say, you know what, I refuse. I will not go. It's like they'd, be, they'd, they'd reach Muhammad Ali status. They'd be, yeah. they'd be looked upon. I mean, even to do it as a PR move. If I was sitting there, like if I was Ronaldo or something and you, you're not, you know you're not going to play. I mean, cynical or not. Anyway, speaking of violence, <laughs> <laughs> this Boca Juniors game, 10 players sent off, my friend. Um, you're the expert here. <laughs> I was reading about this. Um, typical Argentinian football has everything. It has fire. It has quality. It has passion, it has entertainment, it has a millionless Santa Martinez's. Just incredible to watch. Tell me about what happened between Boca and Racing. Yeah, so I, I did get checked this out. This was um, just a, t a ton of red cards handed out on, I believe, the uh, final uh, or penultimate day of the... Um, or I think it, I, I forgot what exactly the cup was. I don't, I don't believe it was trofeo, league action right? though. Um, it was a, uh, trofeo, right. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. It wasn't exactly, I, I guess it was a super cup or something. I'm not too sh uh, sure, but I, I know that Boca, they had an absolutely insane, uh, final day of the, um, of the league season, winning the league on the final day, beating out Racing. So, been a long for sure been a long uh, season for all of them and i i think that in you know a lot of times when you're entering the final uh days of season yeah this stuff can happen just getting a ton of players sent off um so absolutely insane i do i i do know that um i think in uh Bra the brazilian second tier there was a match between sport recife which also ended in like mm -hmm. six red cards so definitely worth checking that out as well uh, so yeah, the Boca game and the Recife game, a lot of, a lot of drama. For yeah, the sure. Boca and Racing game. So it's the Trofeo de Champions, the Campeones. Right. Um, so obviously Trofeo Champions. They are both uh, Racing and Boca first and second in the Argentinian Primera. Um, <clears throat> and so, I think Boca had seven players sent off and Racing had three. I think some of them were sent off after the game, or, um, and a lot of them were sent off during um, during extra time. But um, it, it, uh, I watched I watched the highlights of it. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz he's got a under eighteenth minute winner for uh, for Racing and, uh, and <laughs> just, absolutely kicked off. Uh, referee Facundo Tallis sent Alcaraz off five Boca players: Dario Benedetto, 
an unused sub, Carlos Zambrano, who had earlier been replaced by Jonathan Galvan, and then unused Racing substitute was given a red card. Then Boca Sebastian Villa, Racing's Johan Carbonero, were dismissed in the 95th minute after an argument. Boca's Alan Varela was shown a second yellow card five minutes later. <laughs> and Mr. Tello will also go to the World Cup as a referee. So, um, you know, uh, it's in many ways to me this quintessential South American. Right? Yeah. It has everything that you would want. In a, you know, you often hear commentators follow this up with, we don't want to see that in a game. No, I want to see more of that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Argentinian players have this in them. And it, it, I think it's a beautiful personality trait. I mean, there was two players that I watched on Sunday. <laughs> They're mirror image of each other, in my opinion. They're both Argentine. They're both called Martinez. Emmy Martinez and Lissandro Martinez. And they both have this beautiful snide to them. Like, yeah. I wanted to strangle Emmy Martinez, right, at the weekend. And I'm thinking, this is how people must feel when Lissandro Martinez plays against them, right? Because they've got all of the old-fashioned traits. They know how to wind you up. They know how to get inside your head. You remember those penalties Emmy Martinez saved um, for Argentina? I think, uh, who were they playing? Colombia, I think. Yeah, and, in the uh, Copa America semi-final. Yeah, and every time they walk, I was like, "Gonna miss bitch for you know." I just, I'm just can't stop laughing at him. I'm like, honestly, like you play against them, you want to strangle them, but I, 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 you know, I know for a fact you needed to have a look in the South American market, partly for this reason, because they, they still bring a passion that comes. Maybe it's from the barrios. I maybe it's from the heart of Argentina. And you rarely see an Argentinian that isn't like, I mean, United fans loved Gabriel Ince, right? And you look at like Satavas, right? Even Maradona, you know, remember Maradona against Atletico Bilbao for Barcelona, that big fight. There's always, there's, there's, there's a, there's a firecracker in them. And I, I, I just, I love that. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that especially in a, uh, yeah, in a title uh, race that has gone down to the final day like this one, Absolutely insane scenes that, uh, yeah, that would actually see um, uh, River Plate, Plate uh, win and deliver the league title to their rivals. Interesting enough, River were playing Racing, and um, and and uh, uh, Boca were playing uh, um, Independiente, I believe. So mm-hmm. uh, the rivals of Boca and the rivals of Racing. The Avanayada and the uh, Buenos Aires rivals playing each other. So, yeah, a heated season, and you're definitely going to see, for sure, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, emotions coming to floor with, with these red cards. <laughs> you know, I remember when River Plate got relegated, and uh, they were locked inside the stadium for... Uh, a week wasn't it or something they ended up having to get the, yeah. the police in to get them out <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I I look at uh some English Premier League cl- fans yeah. and clubs getting offended at fans showing up at stadiums with nasty flags yeah River Plate knocked their, fa- their, their team in the stadium for a week uh and uh they're the the uh, and, and you know this is what we talk about with the World Cup what they bring with the celebration of cultures right um, the Argentinians bring their unique brand, right? Their their supporters, yeah. the Brazilians bring 
their unique flavour and their supporters. And you have these international squares, these massive celebrations of different cultures. And uh, I remember, I think it was in Russia, and I mean, nothing showed more that football has never more accomplished with Russia after they invaded Crimea and they started a World Cup and a, and a Sochi Olympics. Um, and the, I think it was Argentina playing Brazil, I can't remember uh, if it was the Russian World Cup or not. And the, uh, what we would say by band, I suppose, the, the, what they were the, the, between both sets of fans was just incredible. And I just, yeah. I, 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 I must say, I have a particular affection for people from South America. My mother-in-law is South American and uh, they are so passionate about everything. I mean, the, the the cultural contrast between my mother-in-law and father-in-law. My mother-in-law is South American, and you know, and my father-in-law is Dutch. He's from Amsterdam, and they couldn't possibly be more different <laughs> in every single aspect, right? And uh, and they both live up to national stereotypes, and uh, and um, in, in a healthy, positive way. And um, I, I I think. South America in terms of football it's almost the heartbeat of football yeah absolutely I mean I'll be honest I think I've been to a lot of games but there there's no game that has really lived up to the just the emotions um as the 2018 Copa Libertadores final um the first leg was played in Buenos Aires second leg due to the violence uh between sets of fans between Boca and River uh, it was played in Madrid, and yeah, I got the chance to watch it. Just absolutely insane, uh, you know, it's seeing the festivities beforehand in, in Madrid, just seeing Boca and River fans going crazy, seeing how much of a police presence there uh, there needed to be uh, to, to kind of uh, prevent any real violence. Absolutely insane. I mean, Argentines, uh, they, they go crazy for their football, and I do think that while it has, uh, it's, it's definitely been at, at some times uh, a curse for them. I do think that in a moment like you know, like like Cutter, I think it could definitely be uh, a something that you know that garra mentality that that helps uh, give them an extra spark in terms of uh, trying to win this thing. Who do you think, uh, if you had to pick a favorite to win the World Cup, who would you pick? So look, I think that there's a good chance that uh, that we're gonna see our first um, non-European uh, champion since 2002. I think that Brazil and Argentina right now. I, I think that those are the two strongest teams going into this competition. Um, you know, yes, you've got some teams like England, like France, like Spain, Germany, who are going to probably make a name for themselves and try to you know go deep. But honestly, I like Brazil and Argentina the most. I think. I'd probably give it to uh, Brazil just by a slim margin, but uh, I think that those two teams are in great conditions uh, to 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 win the World Cup. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think it will also help based on how people's seasons work. Where yeah. you know the European season because it gets interrupted and because there's so many injuries, I don't think it's conducive to going to the World Cup and and having a good tournament. I think you know. Really, you still got players. If you look back from the start of COVID, once the football resumed, I mean, this summer they had what two, three weeks off. You know, they they there's just been because as soon as the season ended, they were in all those Europa conference games, right? right. You know, and then you did the international break. Then you like two weeks off and they're back. 
and I, I it's and, and and if you go back to like we said through COVID, I mean, there was just no break, and I I just I don't think this is healthy. I mean, Paul Pogba's out, I had so many players won't be there. Varane is fifty fifty, you know. Deschamps already said he won't take injured players to the World Cup. It's it's just it's it's um yeah it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I agree. I think you could see a South American winner. Um, finish up with LAFC. Yeah. LAFC uh, they uh, won the MLS Cup this weekend. I want to thank LAFC by the way, who have been credentialing uh, our reporter Gerardo Tavares. Um, for the last few weeks, for a month or so, he's been going to all the games. They've credentialed him. He was at the press conferences. So I want to thank them for their participation and for allowing us to cover them. Uh, extremely grateful for that. Um, we plan on doing that a lot more. But interesting season for them, Zach, because they started out really, really strong. Um, and then they signed a couple of DPs, Kristen Tello and Dennis Boanga. And then, of course, they signed Gareth Bale and Chiellini. And then they, got, they actually got worse. Um, and uh, they were not as good as they were in the final quarter of the season after the first 25 games. They, they hit form at the right time. An absolutely fantastic game at the weekend against Philly. Um, what do you make of it? Yeah, so, I mean, this game was, I think, by all indications, uh, the greatest game in MLS history. I actually, I, I was watching the Sporting Vitoria game um, but I tuned in after Sporting went up like 3 nothing, so I was able to watch um, extra time, uh, the, and, and it was just absolutely insane. Um, so, yeah, I just so many crazy emotions. I think I tuned in right when uh, Gareth Bale was coming on for Carlos Vela. And, yeah, I got to say, I, I, I was a bit surprised because Vela has been just so, in many ways, the heartbeat of this LAFC team and uh, so important. And you're bringing in, yeah, Gareth Bale, a player who I believe hadn't played in a month um, prior to, to coming on. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a really just so much uh, emotion packed into these final minutes. Um, Maxime Crepeau, the LAFC goalkeeper and the uh, Canada's second choice goalkeeper, um, you know, having it, one of the more unique moments I've seen in a cup <laughs> final with yeah. getting a a red card, a deserved red card, 100% while deserved. being uh, while being carted off due to injury. And I actually, yeah, I didn't get to see um, a uh, you know just how bad the injury was because I think Fox Soccer wasn't surgery this morning. Um, I was reading Fox Soccer wasn't showing the replay, but um, but but. You know, wishing all, him all the best. Doesn't look like he'll be able to make it for Cutter, unfortunately. Uh, just a shame. But, yeah, Crepo getting replaced by an ex-Philadelphia Union goalkeeper who mm-hmm. lost his spot to uh, the Jamaican number one, Andre Blake. And uh, having the chance to shine again. Uh, LAFC, I mean, Philadelphia Union. Both these teams, I think in their first ever MLS Cup final, if I'm not mistaken. And that's always something that adds a bit of drama uh, to these matches, right? Um, so I definitely think you saw that from the get-go. Just, But yeah, so many cra- crazy storylines. Jack Elliott, a center back uh, on Philadelphia Union, coming up big with a, uh, with a brace. And yet when all seemed, it, it all seemed done and dusted for LAFC, the final minutes playing with 10 men, 
who else but Gareth Bale showing up mm-hmm. with a phenomenal header to send this thing into penalties. LAFC end up winning it. Um, so yeah, this was a phenomenal match from the from from the what 20 30 minutes that I was able to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was absolutely incredible. And yeah, Gareth Bale, Mr. Yeah. Crunch. I mean, the fact that he's coming from really, a, you know, perhaps I think. MLS viewers will probably be disappointed with Bale uh, in terms of what he's done, but yeah, that's a massive goal. That's that's the biggest goal in LAFC's history. You have to give him a lot of credit because he's come here. He hasn't seen it as you know. This is my career's winding down. He's bought into LAFC completely. He's bought into living here, and he's been fantastic for LAFC. Of course, they've done a double this year. They want to support a shield too. Um, I was just reading, by the way, that Maxine Crepo uh, broke his right leg and had surgery this morning at Kaiser Baldwin Park, a hospital I know well. I had two of my spinal surgeries there, so please forward all your sympathy to me as quickly as you can. Um, but um, I will take it, gladly. Uh, but uh, so glad to hear he's on the mend. And, uh, but yeah, like Gareth Bale has really it's been a fantastic signing um, for LAFC. Uh, and I think he reflects really a lot of the change in attitudes of players that come here. Even when Ibra came here, you know, I remember asking Robbie Keane about this, about the quality, uh, and he was saying to me, he goes, you know, the quality 1-11 to 11 was, and this was back then when he was playing, so and it's improved, was he sent to me English Championship level. And he goes, once you start getting out onto the fringes of the squad, you know, then the quality drops significantly. Which is understandable because a lot of these kids were paid really low amounts of money. But, um, and it's a league that you can no longer win in if you just have good players. You have to be tactically yeah. astute. You have to be, you, you have to know what you're doing. You, like, yeah. It's a very competitive league with good players. And a lot of Europeans condescendingly look down their nose. But I do think that that is changing. And I think the US will have a good World Cup. Um, but um, I think uh, the attitude towards the league by you know big players, not just a, a retirement league. I mean, this league also scouts really, really well in developing young talents. And uh, you, know, you look at someone like Atlanta, what a football club that is. Look, I mean, and I do think that you saw a balance of it, right? I mean, Atlanta, I think, uh, you know, it's been a rough uh, year or two yeah. for them. But they definitely, I think, uh, definitely paved the way for a lot of these teams in terms of going after young South American talent. I definitely think that that's been, we're definitely noticing uh, a shift away from retirement teams approach. But but the thing is, I mean, I just wouldn't, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, with regards to all these teams shifting towards signing young talents, that's another reason why I just don't think that MLS teams should be afraid to be uh, called retirement teams. I think that, MLS has a unique space in football um, where, you know, it, it has this kind of balance where, okay, yeah, you can have these players like Chiellini, like uh, Gareth Bale, like Carlos Vela on their last legs. You can also have these, you know, young talents like uh, Ricky Puig on the other side of Los mm-hmm. Angeles uh, making a massive gamble, gambling on himself, coming to uh, a different continent on, on the other side of the world uh, and, and making a name for himself at in LA Galaxy. I, so I definitely think um, we are we are seeing uh, a newfound respect not just from uh, not just from some fans but also from 
from teammates, uh, from, from, from players. You know, I had the, uh, I had the chance to interview uh, Nuno Santos, who, uh, you know, coming off a fantastic year uh, on loan at Pasos de Fajera and, uh, you know, decided to leave Benfica uh, to, to make a name for himself and, and play on an expansion team in Charlotte FC. So definitely check out my exclusive interview with him. But uh, we're seeing like more and more players um, such as, you know, so, such as Roman Berkey on the upcoming St. Louis team. I also had a chance to interview him um, just stating that, yeah, MLS is a it's a destination that these players are genu- genuinely considering. And I don't think that's coincidence either that, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time in Lionel Messi is uh, choosing to hang up his boots. And yeah, maybe maybe even Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I think that. There, there should be that balance, right? You don't want to necessarily say no to a, a messy kind of player, but I think that, yeah, there definitely should be a balance. And when you get it right, you know, big things happen. So, uh, you know, hats off to LAFC. They've been uh, a noisy presence for sure since coming into the league. And, and I think that a lot of people were, were wondering, okay, well, are they just going to be the team of big names? Or are they, are they going to actually, you know, do something and show that they can handle the biggest moments we saw that they that they are capable of doing that um, at the weekend. Yeah, look, Zach, I think that they, they shouldn't be afraid of being uh, of bringing uh, experienced players here because you know they get on fairly. Lionel Messi, what did they go to the PSG thirty three? What did the Ronaldo go to Manchester United at thirty six? Ibra came out here, then went back to AC Milan, and still was one of the top strikers in the Italian league. There's nothing wrong with sending veterans. You had it saying Cavani. You know, Chelsea saying Thiago Silva. There's nothing wrong with sending yeah. veterans. You know, it shouldn't defend you. It shouldn't, especially... And it's just a lazy... It's a lazy um, definition of the league because it, it, it really is just someone who pays attention to the league, bigger signings that, that make the headlines that really aren't equipped or, or capable of giving a legitimate analysis on the league. Um, so I think that uh, there's nothing wrong, and and also what I would also argue is when this league was started, fifteen twenty, you know, or when this league was started in the nineties, you you needed players like that because this wasn't. I don't want to be disrespectful because it's completely not the case now, but they weren't as a sophisticated a football audience, so you could gimmick it, you could put the likes of David Beckham in the team and draw people in, but you can't do that now. Because you're dealing with a much more educated football base, football fan that understands the difference between quality and gimmick. That understands that you you know Gareth Bale is lighting LAFC up not because of his reputation but because of what he's doing. Because if you do the opposite, if you come out here with a big reputation and you don't pull your weight, you're gonna get abused for that. It's so heavily heavily criticised. So you're dealing with a whole different audience than what you were dealing with before. That yeah. It's not acceptable anymore just to bring out a big celebrity footballer and surround them with 10, 10 guys that really aren't that very good just because you know it's, it's not really about winning. It's about making money. Yeah. It's about bringing people in. That's not the case anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that's something that, that can be applied, I think, not just for these big-name players, but also for you know the young players who are coming. How well are they going to adapt to their mm-hmm. new surroundings, right? Because the U.S. is very different from a lot of these countries. So mm-hmm. if if these teams can make that extra effort, I think, um, to to make these players feel at home, 
then you're going to have uh, fewer issues in terms of trying to adapt. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. We shall see what happens, my friend. We'll leave it there. Um, thanks, as always, for doing this part with me. Very much appreciated, mate. And uh, we'll be back again, of course, next week with more. Uh, when's, what day does the World Cup start? Um, I Google think it here. it's November 18th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, November 20th. Sunday, November oh, okay. 20th. November 20th to December 18th. Yeah, so Qatar, Ecuador, and then next Sunday. So two weeks away um 14 days away will be the uh, on the monday we record it'll be looking at the times here and they're more they're better for an east coast guy than a west coast guy england around <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning um but uh so we'll start covering it um we'll start talking about it and obviously we're not going to proselytize the entire time about right. so the, the the you know but um, we start talking about it from a football perspective. We're not profiting off it, so it's different. Um, Zaggy, we'll leave it there, mate. Thanks as always, and uh, don't forget check out my colleague here at Zach Louie. Zach, all the best, mate. Awesome. Take care. So. See you, brother. Bye.